Right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser in with a shot. He scores. A moment's notice. Adams leads to the line. Hughes scores. In this existence, take you to the sun. First career NHL goal. Quinn Hughes makes it one nothing. You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, the reporter here. Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I'm one of the men in Valentine's Day. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What a steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air, let's go. Hello, Canucks fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, presented by nobody, but it's a Friday. And this show on Fridays is presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Be sure to use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season at Zephyr Epic. That's going to get you $5 off your order. And you have free shipping Canada wide on all orders over $50. The Series 2. The base set series two upper deck. It's a beautiful set. You got those young guns in there. Lots of rookie cards. Andre Kuzmenko's first card. That's exciting stuff. And like I said, Fridays with Harmon brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Be sure to check them out. Find them on all social media at Zephyr Epic. It feels uh, it feels a little weird. Normally we're on video. Normally you're in here a lot earlier. But listen, it's the trade deadline today. A lot of craziness. We wanted to kind of, you know, be able to go through the Patrick Alvin uh, media availability before putting out a show. So we're throwing it back. We're just doing a podcast and it feels nice. What do you think without the video? Is it, is it weird for you? It's weird for a me because I do it five days a week. You I, show up here once. It's and- funny because normally when we do video, I will just wear some random sweater. And today, because I had a couple shows to do and because I thought I was going going to go to going to go to the availability i actually wore a nice coat too and i was like oh this will look great on video and uh and nothing so yeah you get all dressed up for me and i don't even let you show it off on the video that's too, you could have thrown on one of the chains like you, it could have really fit I the know, look you're I on know. Right next now. time okay fair enough well hey trade deadline it's funny because we joked about this a little bit before we started recording here it's like we don't know if we really need even an outline today i i, I pulled up you know a bunch of different quotes here from patrick alvin that we're just going to kind of get to um, cause I think that's where the episode is going to be focused on. Uh, we'll touch on obviously some of the trades. We haven't had your uh, perspective on the heroic deal as well. So we'll dive into that a little bit. Quads and I have given our take. We'll bounce back some ideas on that. Lots of talk about the trade deadline. Today is the trade deadline. Whenever you're listening to this, we're recording this on Friday. It's about five o'clock 
p.m. here on a Friday. So let's just dive into, I, I think, the, let's get the small potatoes out of the way first. The Canucks traded Curtis Lazar for a fourth-round pick. A little bit of an interesting one. Definitely came out of left field when you saw this trade go down. Cool, yeah, decent move. No problems there whatsoever. The club signed Lazar thinking that he could be the answer as a right shot fourth-line centerman just because they have so many left-shot centermen. Figured he could upgrade the penalty kill because he'd been a notable shorthanded contributor for the Bruins who have consistently had a really uh, high-end PK, and it just didn't work out, right? Lazar struggled to win draws shorthanded. The uh, the PK was a disaster from day one, and Lazar was one of the players that consistently got tagged for a ton of goals against. The PK, as we record right now, is still 32nd, I believe, dead last in the league, so it didn't make a lick of a difference. While at the same time, Nils Oman out of camp became a surprise emergence, a potential fourth-line centerman moving forward. Lazar had term beyond the season, just spent most of his time on the wing, you get a fourth-round pick for him for a player who wasn't quite a fit here. No problems at all. Decent work. Yeah, and I think, yeah, you move on, you get a fourth-round pick. Heck, it's another fourth-round pick for this Canucks team that seems to be, I don't know, maybe they're really high on the players that are going to be available between 90 and 120 because <laughs> they've, they've added quite a few fourth-round picks here. They got one in the Hronik deal as well. But on top of that, yeah, I agree with you. I think it was... A spot that really set itself up to have like a feel-good story and success, right? Like Curtis Lazar was making a million dollars on a three-year deal. When the deal was signed, we all looked at that and said, good bet. Like I, That's how I felt, at least anyways, on the trade. I said, hey, really good bet. Local kid. He really gave a damn. Like He was one of the players in my dog rating that always showed up really well because I do think he does try very hard. The offense very much seriously lacked, and to me, it wasn't about the hockey player Curtis Lazar. It was what he was bringing to an NHL team that just didn't fit well with the Canucks. Like, I do think he he's an NHLer in the right role. I don't think that the role that the Canucks were hoping for, they didn't get that. They didn't get the right shot face-off guy who's going to go out there and maybe be the first guy out there on the penalty kill for you. He was never that. And when they did try to put him in that role, it just it didn't work. So they move also on. Also a lack of offense, right? That's he a was a complete thing. black hole, and Alvin referenced that. It's interesting, though, because... Over the years, both in terms of forward and defenseman, there's been an interesting trend where you look at Lazar was a legit high-end fourth liner on a really good Bruins team. You look at Jason Dickinson was a really effective bottom six player on the Dallas Stars. He was ahead of, uh, in one season, he played more five-on-five five minutes per game than Rope Hints. I think. It was, it was crazy. It was under Rick Bonus, and the difference wasn't by much, but still... You have these players come over, and it, for whatever reason, just doesn't quite work, right? Of course, offensively coming over, we've seen Andre Kuzmenko pop off, and he's been such an excellent story. But then on the other hand, too, on the on the back end, you know, Nate Schmidt didn't really work here. Oliver Ekman Larson had one good year, and then he's dramatically fallen off. It's There's so many components involved with moving from a complete, completely different system, city, teammates, goals... And for whatever reason, even though, like you mentioned on paper, you would have expected Lazar to fit, it didn't work out. Yeah, and I think that's too bad because local kid, he really wanted to be a Canuck, like you could tell. I, like, Still one of my favorite pieces of content that Canucks have put out this year was him and Kyle Burroughs like, rolling around yeah. Vancouver, chatting about who had more uh, blue and green on their walls when they were growing up as a kid. Uh, so that's a minor minor deal on the day. I think the 
the thing I want to dive into a little bit more. I, I think we should just touch on the Heronic trade right off the top. I think a lot of yeah. people are, a lot of people are in the same boat of, listen, this is a very good defenseman, a top four for sure on a lot of NHL teams, most NHL teams, I would say. It's a it's a great addition as the player. The timing is very, very strange to me, and that's what I said on the show. Like, I, I don't think that a, te- like a team that's competing in the playoffs, adding Hronik for a first and a second round pick makes sense. Like, there are a lot of playoff teams that I think would make that deal. The Canucks just aren't a playoff team. They were 28th in the league in points percentage when they made this trade. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense for a guy who we've heard Patrick Alvin today talk about it was great to get a player with term on him. It's like, to me, Heronic's term is a ticking time bomb because if he does play good and listen, he probably is like, if he plays with Quinn Hughes, we've seen what Quinn Hughes does to his partners. He very much brings value to them. It, Quinn Hughes seems like a very easy defense partner to play with. Like if you can do a few things right and, and be able to let him kind of, you know, let Hughes cook, like you're going to have success. So I don't, I don't doubt that Heronic's going to have success. And then by the end of this contract, He's going to need a lot of money to stick around here at the Vancouver Canucks. It's just to me, the question that I have is why right now? Like, why make this deal the deadline to bring in this player who, listen, he's a good player. But it just, to me, it, the timing is throwing me off. And when Alvin was asked about it, he said, we don't know if that player is going to be available in the offseason and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't know, man. It just, there's a lot of question marks. Where do you kind of jump off with this heroic trade? Yeah, mostly agree where it, reminds me of when the Canucks first acquired JT Miller from the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2019, where I'm like, excellent player in his mid-20s. I really like the fit. He's going to be great here, but are is this the right time to pay that significant of a price, especially for a franchise that has this type of prospect pool? The prospect pool is not good enough. It was ranked 28th recently by my uh, colleague over at the Athletic, uh, Scott Wheeler, and that's not an unpopular opinion. Now, since then, they've added Ratu, right? They've brought in Josh Bloom. I don't really consider Kraftsoff a prospect because he's on the NHL roster. So, yeah, you've got some, like, you've improved a little bit in that respect, but it's not enough, especially when my belief anyway is... There's a time and place to trade first and second round picks away. Absolutely there is. But you can't do it every year, right? And for me, when you're consistently trading first and second round picks away, you create an environment where, to me, if you do it before you're actually in a legitimate window, you're never going to win a Stanley Cup. Your window is so much smaller because of it. Exactly. So to me, I look at this team and I'm looking at this overall overall retool project and I'm like, sure, if Hronik's a hit, if you're able to move money in the offseason, if Demko rebounds considering the club's had the 32nd uh, ranked safe percentage in the league this season, sure, you've got reasons to believe that this team can contend for a playoff spot. Maybe they even make it, but then what? I I think this is one of the trades where you improve quickly now, mm. but you lower the ceiling of what your team could be down the road. I don't know how you build an elite team at this point in time anymore. It feels like a, a loan with an incredibly high interest rate, right? It's just like, it's one of those payday loans that you need. And it's like, oh, like 
You're giving up a lot right now that also can't, it doesn't even need to be cashed in. Like what is Steve Eiserman going to do now with all these picks he's been able to get? He has so many, he has all the options. The Canucks don't have options anymore. And I think that's like, I get a lot of people that they say draft picks, like, Oh, a lot of them aren't going to pan out. And yeah, like a lot of them don't pan out. Maybe that, that Islanders pick ends up being 23rd overall and you don't get anything. But maybe you get another Brock Besser. Maybe you get a player of that caliber, but at least you have the option. And then on drafty, you're sitting there. Maybe then you have it. It's just you took away the option over the next three months here with using that first round pick. Not only that, but when you hit on a player in the draft, you get their cheapest years, right? You're first going to get entry-level contract value. Then for years after that, they're going to be cost controllable. Whereas when the Canucks get a player like Hronik, it's like, yes, for next season, he's on a team friendly deal. Then right away, you got to pay him, a, pay him a big contract. And the rest of your core already, especially once Elise Pedersen is also paid at the end of next season, your entire core is already paid market value or higher. So it's hard to really build an elite team and that sort of cap environment and don't forget Horonic was a second round pick yeah right if you have enough of these bullets right you're not going to hit on every one of them but eventually you will hit a Horonic or when the Canucks traded traded um a second round pick for Sven Berchi right people during this reclamation project phase with uh with Jim Benning were saying oh well a second round pick uh, is much less likely to hit than Sven Berchi, right? And it's like, yes, yeah, statistically that's true. But if you keep making that sort of sort of trade, yes, eventually you'll end up at a point where, yeah, the Canucks got some utility out of a Berchi, but then Calgary got Rasmus Anderson, who's a top pair right-handed defenseman Even- on his ELC, and now on an on an incredible team friendly. Just over $4 million cap it, right? Well, the, the Canucks lost the ability to not only have... They lost half of the time with Hronik on a team-friendly deal, right? Making, he's playing above that right now, I'd say. More than his contract. Oh, yeah. Is. They lost half of that. They lost the full ELC. They also lost the time when they had him as a prospect and had some options with him. Like, think about think about Atu Ratu, how he was, he was a good part of the trade coming back. He was... I'm not saying he was more than the first-round pick, but he was a, a good piece in that trade to make it happen for Bo Horvat. He was the high-end prospect to get. Yeah. Higher-end prospect. Ratu might not pan out to anything. But the Islanders had the option still to use that draft pick on a player they like, watch him develop for a year or two, and then trade him again. The Canucks are throwing away that opportunity in its own right to have flexibility with these players and prospects because, man, like... I look at it and, and just thinking of the players that like like Brock Faber being a massive part of the trade for Kevin Fiala, right? Do we know if Brock Brock Faber hasn't played an NHL game, and he was a major piece in landing Kevin Fiala? Like these prospects, these defense prospects. This dude just played NCAA hockey. Nobody knows if he's really going to be incredible at the NHL level. He might just end up being a seventh guy, but his value at the time of being a prospect was so high. The Canucks aren't giving themselves opportunities to even know what they could do in a buyer's market with prospects is they don't have any prospects to do it. And that's because of what they're doing with their that's draft good, picks. That's a good point too, because this trade deadline showed that even beyond rentals, right? Even for the players with term that are young and really, really high end, like Timo Meyer and Jacob Chikorin, the best, tra- the best prospect that was moved in that sort of um, trade was uh, Shakir Makhmadulin, right? Who he's a good prospect, but probably has second pair sort of um, upside. And he's a, one of the main pieces that San Jose really wanted in exchange for Timo Meyer. Right. 
right? The other thing I want to, the other point I want to make, right? Sorry, just to that, that's a great example because the Canucks, like, I said this, I think, a couple weeks ago, actually, in the Horvath. Like, the Canucks are never going to know what it's like to have a valuable prospect because he's either going to be playing in the NHL or they're just not going to draft him. Like, they, they won't have the pick to draft him. So they, they are never going to know what it's like to make that move of, like, hey, like, we have this prospect that we like, but this other team really likes this right D prospect, and let's go use it to get a Kevin Fiala. They did it once with uh, Madden in the Toffoli trade. That's the yeah, only that's time an, I can think of. Yeah, half decent example there. Um, and that is the situation that I guess came from, and Madden wasn't even like a top pick, right? He's a third yeah, rounder, third fourth rounder. rounder. Yeah. So I just, that's the thing that worries me is that the flexibility is so gone that the Canucks now are banking very hard. Like they're putting all of their chips in on being competitive in my eyes and from everything that's playing out and the conversations that we've had in, in media availabilities with the president and the general manager. In my eyes, everything is pointing to the 2024 25 season of them being competitive. What is there? They're, any they're other going road? for next season. Yeah. Next season, even like all, all the actions that they've made, including initially re-signing JT Miller, then re-signing Brock Besser, then signing mm-hmm. Lee McKayev. All of these moves, to me, especially when it's been done before they shed any cal- uh, any salary cap space out, that uh, that suggests, especially when we heard Alvin talking about the stakes for next season, like bringing in Rick Tockett at that point in the season, that was odd timing too, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're in a position where you were, were being competitive next season doesn't matter, look, Rick Tockett wasn't, being thrown head coaching job offers, what you what you could have easily done was let Boudreaux go, promoted Mike Yo, and kept the tank rolling. Like it, it looks instead, like so now much you get sense. the instead now you you got the coach bump too. Yeah. They've been winning all these games, right? The reason they brought him in was because they view this as an extended training camp. That's what what Talkett yeah. has said. They want to hit the ground running from not, not next just season. Talkett. Alvin said it today too. So exactly. That, so you're right, it's the organization's it's, thought. It's not even two years from now. They're operating. For next season, and this is the other point I want to make because because it's an important one, right? Because I think a lot of us, myself definitely, have been, um, you know, Drancer, you, so many other uh, other fans as well, have been making the point that we want to see the franchise take a longer term view. That doesn't mean being bad for five years, guys. No. That doesn't mean we're saying tank for five years. There, there is a reasonable in between where. Let's look at an alternate scenario where just 48 hours ago, or maybe 72, whatever, before the heroic trade, they had seven picks in the first four rounds. Yeah, your tweet was great. I loved your tweet. That first, was the best. I'm sorry my, I jinxed it. It was the best tweet I've seen you put out in years. Because as a prospect <laughs> guy, I loved it. I loved that tweet. We talked about it on the show, everything. Yeah, so it was like seven picks in the first four rounds, most in franchise history, right? So it's like you had that much draft capital. You had Ratu in the system now now as well. If you had found a way at the deadline to then ship Miller out, even if it was for like not getting much in return, then all of a sudden it's like you've created such an avenue. Then further down the line at the end of next season, it's like Myers is coming off the books. Maybe you time your window of when to press and, and then you take the pain of an OEL buyout. You, you have you you then also have time a year or two to wait for like Besser and Garland's extension extensions to be like more palatable for teams to take on where it's like they have less term on them so they become 
easier for for teams to sort of take on. You can ship out Beauvillier at next year's deadline for a return. It's like, and then for next season and maybe the year after, all you do is make sure that your your top party isn't being competitive right away, right? So you get another high pick next year, maybe the year after, and it's like in two years' time, you can start, then then you can start making Heronic-type trades, right? Mm. I, I wasn't, like, this didn't have to be either we go all in now or we're going to be bad until Pedersen is 30-plus, right? Like, even waiting, even waiting just one or two years before hitting the accelerator would have been enough to make a lot of progress. It's what I said about the Heronic deal is if, if they did this the, at next year's deadline, I would have been like, okay. That's more acceptable. I was like, I can see that you are going for it next year. You're right. They are going for it next year. And here's the thing that I think is so interesting. I haven't heard anybody bring this up, but like they need to make the playoffs next year. Otherwise, Alvin's job is probably on the line. If he has two years of absolutely flopping after now he's traded a first round pick. When you're a GM in a spot that a team is not and doing you fired well, head coach already. You've, you've fired your coach. You've brought in your guy. If this team absolutely flops next year, do, do you think the fan base is going to be happy with all that they've done? And, and a lot of the smart people in this fan base, the people that are listening to this show, like the people that or your show, any show, people that are listening <laughs> to Canucks podcast and going out of their way for them understand a lot of, hey, this is what value you can get from first-round picks. Also, it's a massive point of where the direction of this team is going, this organization is going, when you trade a first-round pick. It's simple as that. Trading first-round picks is not for teams that are in rebuilding or retooling, it feels like. Unless you're at the final couple stages of retooling. Like, a good example, I brought them up already, but like the Brock Faber and Fiala trade. Like, that was the end of sort of a rebuild. They're at that retooling kind of stage now where they... Because that's what... When I when I think about a retool, I don't think teams just go from being bad to retooling. I do think you need to there needs to be a level of rebuilding even before a retool. You need to build up and the Canucks, I guess you could say, did that. They lucked themselves into that. Where listen, they did a good job drafting when they got Pedersen and Hughes. That's great. That was a very good couple of pillars for a rebuilding team. But it's like they didn't get enough pillars to get to the retool stage yet. They didn't build that foundation strong enough. They went straight to retool because they thought, okay, we can speed this up and get competitive. You, you need you. I don't think a team can just retool. You need to do both. It's it's just about how long of time you spend rebuilding and then retooling and then being competitive. It's also just frustrating because then you see an organization like Detroit go out, oh. right? And in a much tougher conference, they're a team that actually is kind of in the playoff race. Like, they're on the is outside. Five like, points out? Yeah. Unreal. And they went out, and they sold high on Hronik. I'm, I'm wondering because, you know, presumably because they probably looked at his next contract and went, let's cash, on, cash in on him at an all-time high before that next contract for the teams becomes uh, a concern in terms of what he could, um, what he could make. And they also sold pending UFA Tyler Bertuzzi. Now they can now they have all this cap space. Now they have all the all of these first round picks to do whatever they want in the offseason, right? Like they can go out and they can acquire the next Debrinket or Fiala because they're in that window then where it makes sense. And you heard Eiserman say that we're not a cup contender. We're not there. If we were there, like I would have held on to these guys. But there's a GM that understands you're not gunning for making the playoffs. You're gunning for what's the path 
to building a Stanley Cup contender. And there are incremental steps along the way, right? Like you graduate, like you graduate to the point where, all right, first year, first year rebuilding, you're in the basement. Then you're kind of what Detroit is right now, where you're missing the playoffs, but you're you're kind of close. And then, like I imagine, you know, my guess is they'll try and make additions to be competitive for the playoffs next season. But they're going to do it in a way that still that doesn't compromise their ability to be an elite team in, let's say, three years. Yeah, two years, whatever it is, two three years, and that's it's, it's a low risk. It's a low risk way. The Canucks are going high risk again. But you're bang on. Like hearing Eiserman, some of the stuff I saw there today was great. And you brought it up. This is his quote. He said, if I thought we were Stanley Cup contender, I would not have traded our unrestricted free agents. We're not at that point yet. Well, Hornick wasn't even unrestricted, out. right? So it's yeah. like he went even further. Yeah. Beyond that, also, if you have a plan and your players believe in your plan, Dylan Larkin just signed an extension. Yeah, good. Your best player, he's been through all the rebuilding years, right? Just like he's he's been through all the pain, if not longer. He's their Bo Horvat, right? Like Larkin is their Horvat in terms of drafted and all of these terrible years. I'm sure wing like based based off the logic of some Canucks fans that say, Oh, well, you need to do this to to make your top players ready. You gotta be competitive right away. Like wouldn't you say, oh, you got to be competitive? Like, you can't trade away pieces, especially given how, like, Bertuzzi was Larkin's line mate, right? Mm-hmm. And they were close friends. And it's like, by that logic, you'd be like, oh, you can't trade those guys away because Larkin's not going to want to stay. Well, guess what? He believes in Steve Eiserman's plan because he sees the vision and he sees, look, I, I can believe in this organization. And, that, and, and so he resigns long term. It's and to think of all the stuff that Dylan Larkin has had to go through with this Detroit Red Wings team. Like, I, I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, but I have to assume even more losing than the Canucks over a year. St- like over, even though Horvat had a lot of losses here, the Red Wings were really bad for a while too. Like they were very bad. They, I don't know if they were tanking or what was exactly going on there, but I'm looking at their stats right now. Well, like Ken Holland had just left them. A complete mess. Yeah, I I see three seasons in a row of 70 points. And then the 2019-20 season of 39 <laughs> points. In a full... Uh, actually, that wasn't a full season. It was 70-ish games. 68, 69, 70 games, that range. Yeah, I think, I think that is... Yeah, that was 60 to 50, 40... Yeah, to, uh, 72 games. So 72 games, 39 points. Follow that up with the uh, the bubble year, I guess. Or the, the year that... Finished off. They had a 19, 27, and 10 record. Follow that up with a full season with 74 points. And then what they're doing this year where they're actually winning more games than they're losing. And that's why I think when you execute a plan correctly, you can get these players like Dylan Larkin to buy in and stay around. And the Canucks probably could have done it with Bo Horvat too. If they would in the, you know what? Not even just that. I just think they made a bad decision in the off season to go with JT Miller as their guy to sign long-term. And that's why he's gone. And it really but you could have got Horvat to sign in that that same similar deal to what Larkin did, maybe probably less in the off season. And just yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I think Canucks fans are right rightfully jealous of seeing how Steve Eisman operated at this trade deadline because it took a lot of patience, I'd say, and also just really evaluating your team and where they're at instead of what happens, you know, if you get good goaltending, if OEL bounces back is something like Alvin talked about today. And like, 
these so many ifs and maybes and hopefullys. And we've been saying it for years, man. You can't you can't expect much when the best case scenario comes from a maybe or an if. Like you need to have some things for sure that are going to get you to that point. And I think a lot of it comes from just rebuilding the correct way. And we're not seeing that. So it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. And I've, I've been saying it all week on the show. The thing that I see with this Canucks team is like, you kind of brought it, you touched on it a little bit. Like no, no talk about getting closer to a Stanley cup in the past, like from Alvin today in the press conference, nothing about that. The Canucks, I think are just going to put out a, team that's fun to watch when you're at Rogers arena and the fans that come once a month or whatever it may be, if you're just a casual fan, they're going to enjoy it. They, they probably like the heroic deal, right? You're like, okay, Hey, look at this puck mover. He's going to be playing with Quinn Hughes. They have a fun pairing. They'll you, be competitive for the playoffs next season. They will. They totally will. But you touch like you touched on it there. I, and we kind of both talked about it here. They're only getting half of that sweetheart deal with heroic. And this whole season's a write off. So you're really only getting one year of a deal with Hronik making decent money playing above what he's making after that. And I've heard you talk about, I think you talked about this on the bandcast the other day. It was either the live room or your guys' main show, but you were talking about look at Stanley cup teams and how often they have contracts that the players are playing so far above. Yeah. You need a lot of those. I, I can't remember if you named off like how many you counted from the name, like Avalanche. half of Colorado's core. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. How many, how many people can you see on the Canucks? How many players on the Canucks are playing that far above their contract? Like Pedersen for sure. Win Hughes, not even like with Hughes too. It's like it's a good contract, but it's like not like that's not the massive level of bargain that I'm even talking about, mm. right? Like Demko would be that if he's at his best, right? right. If he's if he's uh, what he is uh, last season, but even with Pedersen, right? Like at the end of next season, is he's not going to be that bargain anymore? He's going to be paid. Like he's still going to be obviously worth his contract. Sure. Might be worth a little bit more than than whatever he's paid, but he's going to have a huge ticket. Let's get to the wing a little bit. Actually, you know what? We'll take a quick break. We got to do these uh, these ads things, which we don't have to do anymore. We used to we used to actually have to record our own ads. Now we got this whole process here. It puts it in. So we'll take a quick break. On the other side, I want to talk about wingers. And guess what? We have so many options to talk about because the Canucks have so many damn wingers. All right, we'll get to that on the other side. All right, we're back talking about the wing. And the wingers that the Vancouver Canucks have. It's going to be very difficult um, to move money. Because right now, correct me if I'm wrong here. The Canucks are over the cap next year if everybody's healthy. Yes. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. It's like, Well, okay. This is the other thing. This uh, is the other thing. Alvin's asked about these cap crunches. And he's like, oh, don't worry. We'll be cap compliant. It's like... We're not talking about being cap compliant. Please, we, we believe you that you'll be cap compliant yeah. because if, if you're not cap compliant, they'll literally not let you play NHL <laughs> games. Okay? That's not... We're not worried about whether you're cap compliant. Dude, it's just, I just got deja vu of like, I've heard Jim Benning say this. I know. it. Uh, I've heard Benning say this exact same uh, thing. It, it hurts. Oh, that hurts. Man. I just got the weirdest deja vu. From but that. yeah, anyway... The cap situation is interesting, too, because for starters, it's interesting that... Okay, so when Rutherford first took over, December 2021, mm-hmm. meets with the media, he's talking about the importance of fixing the cap as a number one priority, right? Agreed, because 
he inherited a lot of bad contracts from Jim Benning. Yep. For sure. No doubt. That was not his fault. Right? Then we get to roughly a year later, this past January. Rutherford is saying that he underestimated how much of a challenge the salary cap situation was, which fair enough. He also says that for the team to execute the turnaround that they're looking to do, they need to sort out the cap situation, right? But it's strange that they've continued adding all of these contracts to the books and going through with this retool process before figuring out if they can clear out some of these contracts, right? Right. Besser didn't go at this deadline. We don't know what Miller's future is. You're stuck You're stuck with OEL probably. Maybe you buy him out in the summer. But even then, I don't, like, OEL's hurt right now. Like, how bad is the injury? Because the Calgary Flames, for example, would probably have bought Sean Monaghan out in the, in, in the last offseason. But he was hurt. You can't buy out an injured player. Mm. So we'll have to see what his, what his health situation is. Uh, Tyler Myers, uh, is that a movable contract, especially if he still has, I don't know if he still still will in the offseason have some level of uh, trade protection in terms of uh, no team lists or, or whatever, a 10-team no trade list or whatever. So it, it's just, I would have liked, it would have been one thing if they are like sending all this money out and then sort of going all in because they've proven that they can create the flexibility required. But they've just continued like same way when they re-signed, Bess, uh, re-signed Besser, Miller, signed Mikheyev, when they then now have acquired Hronik and, and you know they're looking at in, uh, in a year or two, he's, he's going to command a significant contract. They're just adding salary. And it's, it's funny because I, I, we talked about this, I think, before we started recording too. I'm very curious, and I didn't have the time to do it today because things were busy. I got a bunch of random things to get to later on the show, too. Some updates that aren't major, but minor. You know my thing. My yeah. prospects, my NCAA. I'll get to that later. But I didn't get a chance to do it today and look back at Patrick Alvin's trade deadline press availability last season because, if I remember correctly, a lot of the calor- the salary cap situation when he talked about it was something that they would handle in the offseason. They could work on this in the summer. We come back this year, and at training camp, when Patrick Alvin is talking about it, it's like, oh, it was it was harder than we thought to move the to move money. It's like, yeah. D- did he say the exact same thing today at the at the trade deadline about you know we you know we're feeling like we're gonna, we can move some money in the offseason, all that stuff? Are we going to come back next season and the Canucks haven't been able to move Brock Besser, haven't been able to move Connor Garland, Tyler Myers, all of that stuff? Well, they'll have to. The, the question is just what level, like what pain is it going to require? And, right? and how difficult is it now that teams know? Now yeah. that te- like every, every team, you think we know about the salary cap when we look on cap friendly? Teams have like full departments that are doing this and being like, hey, the Canucks are screwed. Okay. We can get what we want here. This is also one of the... Biggest red flags I saw from the press conference today was Drantz pressed Alvin about that sort of cap situation. And first of all, he brought up the idea that 
you guys don't look like you'll have the cap flexibility to be able to add impact players when they're available at sort of bargain prices on the trade market when other teams can't afford, afford them. And he specifically cited the De- Devon Taves example, uh, John Marino, and Alvin said, yeah, like we're effectively not going to be in that market, right? Which, first of all, that sucks because that's your opportunity to acquire players for less than what they should typically be, be worth. Mm-hmm. But second, then he continued and comp- and said, well, the Tampa Bay Lightning are capped out and they've won championships. And it's like, that's not analogous at all, right? Like, it's like, sure, you're spending equivalent amounts of money, but number one... When Tampa Bay, like, and this is the biggest thing, like, when it when a team is up against a cap, one of the biggest things you need you need to look at is how many liquid contracts do they have? How many contracts could you pick up the phone today, and within a week find a way to trade or get off of? Tampa Bay has always had contracts that they can get rid of, right? They got rid of the Miller contract because it's a good deal. Mm-hmm. To the Vancouver Canucks, the Vancouver Canucks gave them a first round pick. The Tampa Bay Lightning used that first round pick to acquire Blake Coleman at under 2 million for two cup runs. There you go. Championships, right? Mm. This summer, they were screwed with the cap, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They had a bunch of extensions to give to the likes of Sorelli, Sergachev, Chernak. Guess what? Somebody wants Ryan McDonough. Out the door. You're able to make that trade. So, first of all, the Canucks' contracts aren't liquid. Like, you can't trade them easily. We're finding that out now. Like, no, like teams just at the full freight of their contract aren't very interested in Connor Garland, Brock Besser, Tyler Myers, Oliver ekman Larson. Like, was that's... It, you, I forget if this was Donnie and Dolly, you guys on the live show, but I heard Farhan say he talked to Bill Guerin. He said, yeah, I love the player, but I, I you can't pay Brock Besser $6 million. It's what I, I want to ask you this. I'm like, the Lightning are doing a thing where they are are, are looking at value. And that's what they're doing when they're putting the roster together. The Canucks are looking at players. The Canucks are looking at yes. players. Yeah. The Lightning are looking at value. And there is a reason why both these teams are making, you know, there's a reason why their salary cap are the same. Well, not only that. In a it's cap like, world, you can't just look at the value. I, I hate to say it because it's hockey. It's a sport. We love to watch the game. We love to watch it be played at a high level. But if you really want to be competitive for a Stanley Cup in the Stanley in the salary cap era where the money isn't going up anytime soon, Value needs to be the way that you're looking at building a roster, not players. It was just frustrating to sort of see, like, hear that comparison because it's like, it's like, imagine you and me, right? We both had a billion dollars to nice. spend. Uh, a cap. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be really nice. Right? Let's say. What car would you buy first? <laughs> what, would you, what would be your car? You got a million no. bucks just to live. I don't know. So you don't want to go too crazy. Like, you got to use the million, right? What would you do? Did you get a car? I have to buy a property in Vancouver? Sure. Think about it. Yeah. You just get a million uh, bucks. Like, I would buy a car. I'd buy a nice car. Sure, yeah. I'm anyway, tired of driving the, the, uh, the metaphor I was going to use, or whatever, <laughs> was like, imagine you have, you know, let's say a million and a half, right? Because uh, I was like, damn, this analogy won't quite work the same way because <laughs> Vancouver real estate is very expensive. But let's say you have a million and a half, and it's like, the Tampa Bay Lightning are spending that on a, uh, a Yale Town penthouse. Okay. Right? that everybody loves, it's worth way more than $1.5 million. And if they ever needed to, they could sell off, sell it easily, right? So they have flexibility there. They're they're not screwed in terms of their financial situation. Meanwhile, it's like the Canucks took their $1.5 million and they have this one-bedroom, tiny apartment that is really worth half of what 
uh, half of what the one and a half million dollars is. And it's like, if you're going to sell it, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you know, take less than what it's worth. Well, it's and, like, you got, I will, it's, actually, it's a great way to talk about it. It's like, they're going to need to put money back into their apartment, which is basically retaining when yeah. you trade Brock Besser. Uh, your analogy is great there with that. So it's I like, it's not saying. the same thing when you guys are both capped out, right? Because it's like the lightning could sell that f- property with that 1.5, you know, and, and immediately it's like, you know, they can do whatever they want with that money. Whereas you're kind of like stuck. Mm. And if you do want to get off of it, you have to sell it for below market price. Right. Oh, I'm with you. And I think that's the difficult thing is it's also about the timing that you sell it to, right? Like you brought up, Hey, listen, like the fact that they got McDonough out there was, was that was kind of a surprise too, that some team was very interested, but it's because he played so well, right? Like, they're, these two teams, the way that they're at in cycles, it's so different to sell as well. So, like, I give the benefit of the doubt to the Lightning who just won two cups. Like, their players are going to have value. You have yeah. to give them a bump from their play for their value. But that's the thing that Tampa did so well is they were like, hey, we just won two cups. Let, let's go find value again. Let's go f- not let's not keep our players. Let's go find value again. Let's go get value. Like, that is the thing. They're targeting that. And it's working extremely well. I don't know which other quote we want to get to um, from Alvin because I do want to try to like, I, I feel like we've, uh, we haven't been the most positive this episode yeah. and I know you like your Friday positivity. Yep. So I don't, I don't know if we're even going to get to positive, but let's talk about what the Canucks can do. Okay. Because we both touched on it. I think the road they're going down to right now is wanting to be a playoff team next year. They wanted to be a playoff team this year. We know that Yeah, things fell off the rails and they could fall off again next year. That's very possible. But what gives them the best chance of being a playoff team next year? What moves can they make? Where do you want to start here? Because I'll bring up the OEL buyout. Yeah. I don't think it's a smart idea. But if they are trying to be competitive for next season, is that the way that they start in this offseason here? Potentially, yeah. I mean, they've kind of locked themselves into wanting to be competitive soon and it is the quickest way to create immediate, um, significant immediate cap relief. Either way, regardless of whether you keep him or not, the fact of the matter is you're not penciling him in, into your top four anymore, regardless of his contract, which means that behind Hughes, you need another top four defenseman, right? Like, on like either on the left side, or it, it sort of depends, because on the one hand, part of me has wondered... Yeah, in an ideal world, if you had a deep enough decor, you'd play Hughes and Hironic together. Mm-hmm. But can you afford to do that when you have such little talent? I, I question that the way that Alvin was talking about today, talking about a one-two punch. Is he talking about a they're on the ice together giving you a one-two yeah. punch or a he's the first pair guy, he's yeah. our second pair guy? So I, I think that gives you option. Because in my eyes, listen, the, the partner that you're looking to find for both of these defensemen is either is easier than the contrary where listen, it's hard to find puck moving defensemen, yeah. especially right-handed guys. So that's, it is a tough, like Ronick is going to help this Canucks team a lot. I, I do think that unless Iserman knew something and why he was trading him here. Listen, man, like this whole, Hey, how's your shoulder? Oh, it's upper body. Like you don't know what that could be moving forward, but we'll have to just see how it happens. I do think Ronick going to be successful there, but you're right. Like you need another top four defenseman, somebody who's defensively oriented. Mm-hmm. Right? Somebody who, because Heronic 
I'd say he's definitely improved his defensive game to the point where it's not a concern at all. I found it interesting that his second year in the NHL, he's playing three minutes a night on the penalty kill. Year after that, two and a half. It's basically dropped 30 seconds a night per game. As the season's gone by, like, yeah. his, fir- his first season he did a little bit. Second season, he was killing a ton of penalties. Third season, killing less. Fourth season, killing less. This past season, killing the least of his career. So, like... Yeah, so... I mean, just in general, right? They don't have any, especially Ekman Larson was kind of that defensive stalwart kind of piece for them last season, right? So they don't have that, right? They don't, especially when you're losing Shen, you obviously lost Tanev years ago, right? You need that sort of defensive stalwart sort of player, whether it's a right side guy to Caddy Hughes or, or whether it's a left side guy to potentially complement uh, um, Hironik. So aside from that, a top four defenseman, which is a difficult ask in its own right. I mean, you need another center. The thing, I guess, what you're saying though about like you need a top four defenseman, but you also need you need the easier part of a top four pairing to find. I think, right? Like mm-hmm. you need like a defense. You don't need a puck yeah. moving juggernaut. Yeah. You need a, yeah. a guy who is trusted defensively. That's the type of thing I think you can find easier. Like Hronik yeah. would have been harder to find. For sure. For sure. I, I just think that, yeah, going into next year, like, I guess the big thing is you hope that, hey, Ilya Mikheyev comes back and he continues to play well. I mean, he was on a, what, a torn ACL this season? Well, like, the goaltending, you'll hopefully get some. That's the biggest thing. That's by far the mm-hmm. biggest aspect is, I mean, they're <laughs> they're 32nd, right, in save percentage. So that's going to give them a, a big natural boost. Is it wild that they went from first to thirty second? Like how wild? Well, that also is that? tells you why. Like when you're so reliant on goaltending, it it can it can turn on a dime like that. That's why I hate goalies. <laughs> I hate them. Well, it's just like you can't like construct a team where you're. Where where, let me put it this way: if you need an elite goalie just to make the playoffs, mm. you're in trouble. That's a very good point, and that is that where the Canucks are at next year. We'll see. Right? With, with the rest they of the could roster. Be, yeah. I mean, yeah. they're going to need really good goaltending. Okay, let's dive into... Which they could get, right? Of course, yeah, of given course that goes uh, health. But look at the Vesna nominees from last year. Look at look at the state of Jacob Markstrom's game right now. Mm. Like, compared to Demko, Markstrom has had an even worse year. Right? Then you have Shesterkin. He's, he's, in, he's at a above-average year. But nowhere near the sort of like near historic Vesna trophy. I'm the best yeah. goalie on the planet, and it's not even close type of year. And then Soros has turned it around recently, but he was awful out of the gate. And that was part of the reason why Nashville dug an early hole. So I think to, to even get to the point of being able to get flexible with adding a top four defenseman, you need to first move off somebody who's getting paid like one and that's Tyler Myers, right? Like listen, Tyler Myers is now or I'll reallocate your winger money. That's yep. That's another one that we can use. Well, let's, let's do that first. And then we'll talk about Myers in a second, but you look at the winger money, Connor Garland coming in at four, nine, five Brock Besser, six, six, five next season. And a year after that, Connor Garland, I should mention two years after next season as well. Bavillier is coming in at four, one because Manko bumps up to 5.5 next year. Like, all the money is on the wings. It's wild to see. Like, JT Miller is now a center. Like, that's... I mean, at least you have that. He's playing at center. But aside from that, like, you're, you're paying... It is weird to see 
that much money thrown into these guys that are wingers for you. It, it's why it's weird. I keep circling back to this. I've been probably saying it too much this week, but like the Canucks are just building an exciting team. They're not a winning team, but like the Canucks have some really exciting games. Like they get into these horse races at home where Pedersen scores five points and scores the overtime winner against the Kraken. And it's like, that's going to happen when you have wingers, but wingers aren't the base of like actually winning games. Yeah. Wingers make the game exciting. It's like the whole position of a winger. Yeah. Right? Like the, the wingers, what do they do? They, they, in their own zone, they're just checking defensemen at the point. They're also like getting the first to break out of their own zone. Like they're the exciting part of the game. And that's why the, I feel like the Canucks have invested so much money into the wings. It's why a lot of the time the Canucks play very exciting hockey. They might not win all those games, but sometimes the other team looks really exciting because they're playing against the Canucks weak defense. It just feels like all this money invested into the wings is showing up in the results because yes, it's exciting. It's been, there's been really fun games this year. They have been, and that's great for the fans that are coming to Rogers arena. So I don't know. It just feels like that's not the way to build an actual contender. And I think that's, what's going to hurt them in the long run. We saw that reflected in, um, in the, in, in the market value prices this past off season, right? Where wingers held less, uh, less value. Look at, um, when Columbus had to shed salary, right? Bjorkstrand was a 28 goal scorer. He'd been on a great point pace the year before that too. Mm. It's on a very, very reasonable contract. And they only picked up a third and a fourth because teams were realizing, okay, if there's one position, that I'd like to cut salary from. Like if I have to cut cut salary and, and trade away a good player, probably going to trade my big salaried winger first as opposed to a centerman or a defenseman, yeah. right? And so that's where, for the Canucks, they're going to have to find a creative way to like shift some of that money, so shift some of those co- contractual commitments to uh, to centers and, uh, and defensemen instead, right? You look at a player... I don't know, pick your winger, whether it's a, a Bovillier, a Garland, a Besser, like whoever, right? And, you know, add value in some sort of way, like whether it's another sort of winger prospect that you have. I'm not talking about like Karamaki, but even like a younger, like I'm not advocating for this, but this is what management is, like this is what their possibilities are. Like looking at a player like uh, Hoaglander, right? Yeah. Where you look at, oh, we got all this talent on the wings, like sweetening the pot in that way or with picks or with something else. And then going, let's like with this added value, let's convert that to a similar contract value defenseman who like, by the way, probably like he'll he'll be an okay defenseman for his contract. He's not going to be a great defenseman for his contract. It's going to be the sort of deal where it seems like I'm not in love with this player. He's not a terrible contract, but it's like you're just moving the deck chairs with another team. Well, yeah, and then you're going to have to hope that that player can, you know, provide, you know, if, if that player provides more value at at, uh, at uh, defense or center, then it's like you've made an upgrade. Here's if a you question. have other wingers to replace the, the, the value of a departing Garland or something, right? A question for you is, did the Canucks miss out and make a mistake here at the deadline by only using one of their three retained salary cap spots. Did they miss out? Listen, it could have been a fourth-round pick, fifth-round pick. Do you think that was a mistake on their point, or do you think they were holding out late to see? And and the strange thing was Patrick Alvin said, listen, I, I didn't have an offer for JT Miller. A team called him, he said, this morning, early on the trade deadline morning, but it wasn't resulting in anything. Brock Besser deal, you kind of thought if that was going to happen, it was going to have to be retained. Did the Canucks miss out here on just adding a 
literally a free asset. You're, you're paying money. You're taking some money of the salary cap, but it's a free asset from actual roster construction. They only used the the retaining money on the Horvat deal. They had two other spots open. Yeah, and those would have obviously expired at the end of the season, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends because I, I wonder how it works with someone like Miller, right? Where, let's say, a team's willing to give you the sort of package the Canucks actually want, right? Because the Canucks clearly don't just want to offload him. They want an actual, like, legit return. Yeah. What if a team's willing to give you that return if you retain, like, 500 k per year off his... Right, so he's a seven and a half million dollar player instead of um, instead of uh, eight, right, or seven two five, whatever, right? Like a slight retention. Mm. You're trading him before the extension kicks in, so it's like, does that use like, for example, let's say you're trading him at the draft, June twenty seventh. Okay. So does that use the retention slot for this season? Because player like a new player contract would kick in on July first. So I'm wondering like. If you're trading, like, whether it's a Besser or, like, a Miller or, like, a Garland, like, that's one thing that I, I've been wondering. And I, I Oh, does is, it count on this year's cap? Does it count for this, this right. season? I don't know the answer to that. Because I think some people might have heard what you just said and say, hey, hey can you just retain on Miller's contract right now? That's not the way that no. it works. No. So like, what you're saying is one year of the retention, would it kick into this year? I don't think it would make that much of a difference at that point. No, but in terms draft. of your three max retention slots. Right. Right, like yeah, let's say, yeah. like so let's say you've already retained. Like would Hor, like would Horvat still count? Because these the contracts over, yeah. No, no, but player contract contract expire on June thirtieth. So would Horvat at that point? Let's say you're moving Miller at the draft. Does Horvat already count as a retention slot? And on top of that, if you've let's say retained salary for another like team as a third party broker, mm. let's say for a Patrick Kane, right? Is Patrick Kane still technically using up a retention slot? Because contracts go through June thirtieth. Do you understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you I'm, can't I'm move. Just thinking about it, yeah, I don't. I, I I'd have to really I would dive assume, deep into the CBA. Yeah. So it's like I can like if that's the oh, rationale, you know, I, can I, I love it. looking up stuff in the CBA. So I'll do. I'm gonna handle that. So I'm not gonna rip the Canucks right until I know the answer to that. Because if if that's how it works, then I don't blame them for keeping that retention. Two spots open. Two, two spots open. Yeah, I, I, get, I would assume that it would because it... But that's the thing. Like, the salary cap doesn't matter once you're in the playoffs. So does it end when the, when the season's over? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I legit... I don't mm-hmm. know the answer to it. That's yeah, a good question. And it's been so... I hope everyone's looking it up right now as they're listening It's been to so this. close to the end of the deadline that I haven't had a chance to look it up. So. Yeah. Okay. Interesting thing. Let's, uh, let's close out with just... I've just got a few updates that I want to get to. Uh, and I, There's players that you can give your, your thoughts on. Instead, this is normally when quads completely dives out of the show. Uh, but I want to get your thoughts on it. So I heard from uh, a very close source uh, today to Aiden McDonough. And it sounds like things are trending in the positive direction. I was told today by somebody that two months ago, they would have put it at like a 0% chance. But the Canucks have done a lot of work. Patrick Alvin talked about it today that he flew down there to talk and meet with Aiden and his whole family, explain what the future was uh, with the Vancouver Canucks. I sent out a tweet earlier today from the number that I was told was like a 60% chance he does sign. I had two texts from agents within about 10 minutes saying it's higher than that. The Canucks have done a really good job over the last two months. These are agents. These aren't people from the Canucks organization. These are agents that are hearing things and talking to other agents. So that's, that's some good news, I think, at that point. And they've made it, I think, a lot of good big changes over the last two months in his thought process. I'm not saying it's a guarantee yet because I really do think that 
though this is good that Patrick Alvin's going out there and meeting with the family and talking about the future, that's all good. It's also really been a tough situation for the organization with Jack Rathbone, who literally is Aiden McDonough's best friend. So they talk every day, those two. They are, you know, they're in, you know, group chat. They have their group chat. We all have our group chats. That's theirs. They they are chatting with them, a couple other athletes in that chat as well. I, I think it is I do think it's more than a 60% chance, but I don't think it's for sure. But it is a little bit more positive than I think the news that we've heard on McDonough over the last little bit. I don't know if you have a thought on McDonough or not. That's good, yeah. The other thing I'd say is with Rathbone, hopefully there's an understanding that, look, when he got NHL games, he was bad. Yeah, he was. Straight up. Like I, I like Rathbone a lot as a kid. I I think he's a great personality I think he has potential in another circumstance he to maybe get a role. in the AHL right now. Back-to-back games with goals, too. Yeah, like, I, 100%. If I was another team and I, like, had a spot, I'd be like, sure, why not? If I, For free, like, later down the road, I'd be like, I'll bring him in as a reclamation project. Yeah. But I also don't think, like, the Canucks screwed him over or anything to the point where if I'm Aiden McDonough... Mm. I'd be like, oh, he got no chance, yeah, right? It, and been... he still got a multi-year one-way contract. Totally. Like he's making NHL money down in a, down in Abbotsford. Yeah, so. and I mean, he, he's had some injuries that he's battled over the yeah. time. There's obviously, it is hard for him in the position that he plays. Like, I don't think it's all on the organization on how Rathbone has Not made it to the NHL because some of the stuff in the organization, it's like, you can't blame them. Well, I mean, you can <laughs> for bringing an OEL, but it's like, you can't blame the, the, the evolution of Rathbone because like he's had... Quinn Hughes ahead of him at number one, OEL there at number two. And then like the Canucks, I think that's where you can actually start to put a little bit of blame there. It's like, hey, why are you playing Riley Stillman over him? Why are you playing this guy over him? Why is Guillaume Breezeball up there over him? Like I, I get those type of things. It just feels like Rathbone right now is being an example of we're going to keep some guys in the HL to let them really start to develop even more. Because I do think you are seeing that in his game. It's just been hard with the injuries that have kept him out. And Listen, man, like there's some bad injuries, both of them that he's had over the past two years here. Yeah. On top of that with COVID and everything. Um, Jacob Truscott, who is um playing with Luke Hughes' brother, uh, down in uh down in Michigan right now. That's uh where we've seen him play this season. He's been injured for the last little bit. I still have not been able to get an update uh, on when he's coming back, but the word that I'm hearing is that he's going to sign after this season. I questioned it for quite a bit because I thought he would have the option, which actually very similar to McDonough of going back and being the captain. Cause I think that's the way that Truscott's looked at from Michigan. And I still think that's a potential option, especially with him being injured as the season's kind of closing out here. He might look at it as kind of unfinished business and want to go back. But from what I've heard, he is looking to go pro this season. So we'll have to see if the Canucks are interested in that. Any thoughts on Truscott seen him at the world juniors. He looked good there. He's just a, to me, he's yeah. a support defenseman. And I, yeah. I like those guys. He doesn't need to be the, the puck mover. Um, but I think some time in the HL will be good. I'd like to see Truscott in the HL next year. Sure, yeah. To see what he looks like. Like I have higher hopes for there's going to be multiple defensemen we'll see in the AHL next year. Jacob Truscott, I think, is going to be one. Yanni Yermo is going to be the other. Philip Johansson we're going to see in the AHL next year. I think I might have the highest NHL hopes out of those three for Jacob Truscott because of the way that he plays and the style that he is. Um, we talked about developing in the AHL. Niels Huglander, everything that I hear about him – uh, from the organization is good. They very much like what he's doing in the AHL. He is scoring at a crazy rate right now, playing with a ton of confidence. Your thoughts on him not being in the NHL, like tomorrow? Why isn't he getting called up tomorrow? He might. He might get called tomorrow. Let he's him cook. scoring. Let him build confidence. Do you right? think he was down season? on his confidence? Yeah. It, it, he was really down on his 
his ability to finish, for example, that mm-hmm. that's where you can a lot of times see it with players. I think it was a mental reset just going to the AHL. That's why I'm curious to see how much time. Because when he went down to the AHL, his first game, like third shift, he tries to look Also, mode. what's like, Tockett's trying to implement this like mm. details, defense style. That's not Hoagland. Yeah, but here's right? the thing. And Pod Colson's he's pod- doing that though down with, with Carlton right now. Like he is a much no, more. Well, what I'm saying is thing. like, because of that, I don't want Hoaglander in a situation where he's like, Tockett's like, I can't trust this guy. And all of a sudden, Hoaglander's playing like eight minutes a night, which, by the way, Pod Colson was for a while recently, mm-hmm. just like consistently. You know, I didn't check his ice time after last night's game. But before that, there was like a four-game stretch where he was like consistently under 11, 11 minutes. Like some nights he was playing seven, eight, nine. right? So mm-hmm. I don't like – I'd rather Hoaglander build up his confidence in Abbotsford than barely play. Yeah, I agree with you to that point. And I think that's the thing that I have liked about Carlton. Like even when I asked him about like, hey, what do you think about the lacrosse – attempt like trying to pull that off he was like hey if it's gonna work great if it doesn't work i don't like it so like that kind of thing like giving him a little bit of freedom but also is just seeing the way that abbotsford team plays like i don't know man like i, I just i watch them a lot and i watch a lot of other ahl teams and it, it just feels like there is such more structure and, and it's wild because i've seen i've seen utica play for years i've seen abbotsford last year and it was such a scramble there were so many breakaways against them and now it's just not the same way like it, there is there is a lot of structure out there in Abbotsford, and anybody who's out there watching knows this. So um, that that's, I think, a good spot for him. And Atu Ratu sent down as well. I think that's good. I think let him spend the whole, let him spend the rest of the HL season there and get him in the playoffs for that run. So uh, I would like to see that. Uh, Jake Livingstone, everybody keeps asking about him. I don't think, uh, I don't think much has changed, but I did hear from an agent saying that, uh, this time is very busy for these agents who have these free agent um, players that are coming out of school. And Jake Livingstone is probably the big fish in the whole NCAA prospect uh, coming out of NCAA as free agents. The Canucks acquiring Heronic didn't help. I'll say that it didn't help the Canucks chances of landing Livingstone because the agent for him is looking at depth charts, chance to play, and listen, the Canucks still like have a very good chance because their right side of the defense is very lacking. So there's a good, you know, when when agents are looking around the league and doing their depth charts, they're looking at right D and they're thinking, hey, Vancouver's got some spots here if you're if we're gonna get you into the NHL. But the heroic thing didn't help. It didn't help. That's all I'm saying. It didn't change, you know, shape like shift everything. I think the Canucks still have a chance of landing him, but it didn't help in the end. So that's all I got. Uh, and still, the other name I heard again today, this is the third time in the last month I've heard his name, Sam Malinsky in the Canucks. Watch for the right D uh, out of Cornell. So watch for him, um, 24-year-old Cornell. Uh, been really good in big games in the NCAA. Third time I've heard his name uh, with the Canucks in the same conversation. So I think the Canucks are going to be after this right D. So we'll have to see what happens there with that. Anything else you want to close out with, Harm? Nope. Good. You got it all out. You ready for your Friday night now? What are you doing? You got the I've got deadline a live, days over. Yeah, no, it's not over. I've <laughs> got to do a live uh, van cast, and then I'm probably writing after. So yeah, I feel you there. I got a lot of writing to do as well. Um, but appreciate you stopping in here, spending time. I know we go a little long here on uh, the shows with you. Let's see. I don't even know how long we went today. Well, over an hour. So good stuff. Appreciate you coming in here. Um, did I hear you're 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 in early next week? Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. I don't really know exactly what's going on. I know, well, Quads has got his puppy. Monday. Now. If you're listening to this on Saturday morning, Quads now has a puppy. 
He's in for hell. He's in for hell. I've been saying it for a long time. It's a lot of work. I think he's in for a, a lot more than he's he's uh, biting off. He's bitten off more than he can chew, just like that dog's going to be doing to his couch here in the next few days. All right. We'll wrap things up there for my co-host, Harmon Dial. We got no producer today. That's just me producing the show. My name's Chris Faber. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? <laughs>